Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Content warning. This episode will discuss a lot of heavy topics such as state violence. Please be kind to yourself. Prepare yourself with before and or after care. And remember, if you or a loved one is going through it, you can dial the black line at 1-800-604-5841. The black line provides a space for peer support, counseling, reporting of mistreatment, witnessing and affirming the lived experience for folks who are most impacted by systematic oppression with an LGBTQ plus black femme lens. It's a crisis listening line. And once again, you can dial in by calling 1-800-604-5841. Thank you. Join us to explore the stories, policies, practices, and ideas of the new Survivors Movement. This is Survivors Hills with your host, Oya L. Sherell. Welcome, 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 good people. This is your host, Oya L. Sherell's. You're listening to the Survivor's Hill podcast, and today we have a very special guest who has, you know, a very troubling story to share with us. However, it is a story that's been repeated throughout history, and we're always making history. History is always happening, so we want to make sure to add this to the official record. But without further ado, 
I am here with activist Zeb Hall. Hi there. Hello. How's everyone? Zeb, can you tell me your full name? Uh, yes, my name is Zebediah Dewan Hall. That's a really strong name, Zebediah. Can you share like what it means if you know? Well, my mother named me uh, after a friend of hers. Uh, I guess he passed away before I was born, and you know, I guess it means uh, for some translations, it's like gift from God. But uh, I'm just Zeb <laughs> for the most part. Okay. Well, Zeb. I know that there has been some incidents that have gone down in Denver, Colorado, and it's something that you have shared with the new podcast, Alphabet Boys. Uh, yes, that's correct. It's a pretty interesting podcast. Uh, it's a lot more to come. We've had three episodes so far. Uh, it goes over how the FBI used a criminal informant to infiltrate the BLM protest and ultimately cause the demise. Wow. And so is it that you were an activist on the ground in Denver yourself as well? Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, I started out uh, in the early days and uh, I stayed until, for the most part, right before things really completely fell apart. It was a pretty interesting summer, uh, as we all know, but uh, it was a lot of um, things that a lot of people expected, but not the way uh, it came out. Mm. So... Can you tell us a little bit about your background, like where you're from and what inspired you to get involved with the activism after George Floyd? Uh, yeah, I um, grew up in North Carolina, been in Denver for about 11 years, worked in IT. Uh, it's been pretty cool. I started um, getting into the uh, protest uh, the early days. I used to be part of a party called the Party for Socialism and Liberation. I was in there for about two years off and on. And after maybe the first few days of the protests, I decided to uh, actually after the first two weeks, I decided to leave the party and just kind of go about it my way. I decided to take a lot of pictures. I've submitted pictures to the Westward uh, magazine here in Colorado. And, um, you know, what got me really interested was not more so being in the party. It's just uh, I'm a black person, you know, uh, from the South, you know, but as we know, doesn't matter if you're from the South or not. This is America. But it was something that was really important to me. I was more of an activist. I gave speeches at times. And over time, myself and the rest of the community, we were introduced to a violent, uh, how would I say, a criminal that was sent by the FBI to derail our movement. And at what point did you realize that something funny was going on? Um, over time, uh, the protest became, you know, to get a little bit more violent. You know, what was really more so peaceful in the beginning, you know, it was escalated by the police, it started in many cases. But over time, you realize groups are starting to splinter. And with it splintering, you know, a lot of people get cast out. And in the process, a lot of violence just started to occur. It was weird, you know, you just, you know, see things uh, lit on fire or sometimes maybe bricks were out there in some places. But over time, you realize that it was a, how would I say, a, uh, a specter haunting the uh, protest. And that specter was the criminal informant by the name of Michael Windecker. Mm. Yes, he was sent down. Uh, when I first met him, it was around late June, early July. He was introduced to the protest community through a now defunct portion of the DSA called the Young DSA, Young Democratic Socialists of America. 
Okay, and all of this transpired in 2020? That's correct. You know, the protest started before June, but towards the end of June, this gentleman, uh, I guess, started to go get well noticed, and he ended up taking some kind of leadership role. At times, especially in the beginning, he would tell protesters, hey, this is where the police are. But over time, those tips, it appeared to turn into kettling. So it was as if he was sent to do well in the beginning or give that appearance that he was doing well. But over time, it really turned into something like, you know, kettling or taking protesters into dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take me back a little bit. So can you share what was the intention of the group that you were associated with? What did they hope to achieve through the protest? Uh, would that have been the Party for Socialism and Liberation or just the overall protest groups that I was around? Yeah, just the overall protest groups that you were around. Uh, for the most part, it was uh, justice for Black folks who had been killed and killed by, you know, police, uh, an unjust uh, court system. You know, just the system that really goes against anything that is uh, pro-Black. Most of the people were there for that. And then over time, some parts became more about ideology and it splintered into uh, just many different groups. And I feel that that was probably primarily due to the infiltration of the FBI and maybe other forms of law enforcement. For sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's not that I think I kind of, well, we know now, you know, all the evidence is out there. Right. And in terms of like COINTELPRO, did you have any prior knowledge about COINTELPRO before like getting involved in protest or even in organizing period? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's part of our history. You know, uh, we're very resilient folks. And anytime we do something and become better and start uniting, you know, there's a higher power, usually the FBI, the CIA or even the courts that will do whatever they can to stifle what we can do. You know, we've seen what they did to the Panthers, uh, Malcolm X, Dr. King, Sada Shakur, and many other folks. It's the history. It's what they do better than anything else. Uh, they'll let a bunch of white supremacists walk around, but, you know, can't have uh, Black folks getting people together and doing right. Ain't that the truth? So, yeah. so understanding that history, like amongst the people that you trusted, in the protesting, did you guys have conversations about, you know, the potential for infiltration? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the big models were uh, don't trust anybody 100 percent, you know, any kind of movement, because anything can happen. Uh, we've seen with Standing Rock, uh, snitches were used, uh, any protest uh, in Black history uh, and anything to infiltrate. But I don't think any of us really expected or now many of us are shocked that it was came through a not full infiltration into uh, the DSA, but an association with this party. We know these things will happen, but the way in which it was put out there was just kind of shocking. It was very bold. You know, you put this guy there who sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, he doesn't look like one of us by any means. And it's just the way they so boldly did it. It was just in the way in which it tricked folks. And I believe that this more than likely happened all over the country and just in different ways. It couldn't just be Denver. And I'm pretty sure there was a lot more people in Denver that were working with him or an association with law enforcement. It was a all-out blitz on a movement for uh, us. Absolutely. I believe, you know, ever since the designation of Black folks 
asking and crying out for justice for our lives, there has been this designation within law enforcement, within governmental law enforcement of black extremists, right? Like as a designation of domestic terrorism, although we know that domestic terrorism is most deadly and most extreme on the right, there has been this constant harassment of black folks asking for the most minor <laughs> freedoms, right? In in the land where we were born free, supposedly. So I'm curious because I know there's just so many things that have happened there in Denver. And this show is really about showcasing people who have been doing the work on the ground and figuring out how to heal you know, uh, through it, but also it's for survivors. And I know right now you are also um, facing an entrapment situation, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, they use a lot of my First Amendment rights against me, the federal government, especially FBI. You know, things a lot of us have said before, um, you know, just because say, hey, I want to blow this uh, you know, motherfucker up doesn't mean I'm going to do it. You know, um, I've started doing jujitsu and some MMA training the past two years. And, you know, I got upset with a, how I say, a professional fighter. And I said my set and said my head, yeah, I'm going to. But then I thought, like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, you and everyone was in the heat of the moment. You know, uh, you know, it didn't matter if it was left, right, black, white. It was 2020. You know, we have a. Uh, pandemic, you know, a, a man is murdered, screaming for his mother. And it was, uh, yeah, sorry, I kind of get like a route of thinking about it. Um, I mean, it was a it was a very emotional time, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and over time, I met with this gentleman quite a few times uh, at protest. We weren't really hanging out with this guy having coffee and going hiking with him or anything, but he just show up. Uh, one day, uh, you know, I let this guy, Michael Windecker, come to my um, house and we have a conversation. You know, I'm talking about, you know, I want to work on my speeches, you know, learn how to defend myself because I received death threats, you know, over that summer. Uh, my car was stolen for like three days, mm. you know, it just so happens it was found like two or three blocks away from, you know, where I parked it. I was worried. And, you know, I uh, just figured, hey, maybe this guy. He's been around. He's cool with the DSA, potentially, can link me towards some kind of way of learning how to defend myself and, you know, other things. But over time, in these conversations, it's like, yeah, you know, we could just take it all the way uptown, like, you know, causing real violence. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything like that. It's not my interest. And in the beginning, we're always told, you know, you never agree to do anything violent, you know. But, you know, within a short amount of time, you know, um, he asked me to meet a uh, another gentleman named Bryce Shelby at a barbecue restaurant. And at this restaurant, he asked me to, um, you know, murder the attorney general. It's not something that you just get asked every day. Uh, you know, go have dinner with someone. Hey, man, you want to go kill Phil Weiser? No, it doesn't happen. Right. Um, so after he asked me this question, I'm like totally shocked. And, you know, I'm like terrified. I'm not going to kill this dude. And I say, no, I'm not going to do it. So he keeps, you know, pressing me to do it. And, you know, I am just like making excuses like, hey, you know, I'd rather just wait six to eight months. You know, I'll talk to people, rile them up, and get them angry. we we'll get it through the, you know, uh, the winter uh, and people will be mad and blah, blah, blah. But he's still trying to push me, you know, to try to kill this guy. And I'm like, OK, no, let's 
no, let's go through the sewers. You know, I'm making all these excuses, you know, or learn how to do this stuff because he's trying to push me to do it. And I refuse to do it. But at this point, you know, he had asked me to purchase him a gun uh, in a process uh, shortly before. And I felt that if I didn't get this guy this gun, you know, knowing that I turned down this uh, proposition to murder Phil Weiser, he would know that I turned this down. The other gentleman, you know, uh, Mr. Shelby would know that I turned it down. And during the meal that we were having, Mr. Shelby agreed. And, you know, I don't think he completely went through pursuit it, but he knew that I turned it down. And it was a fear of me, you know, at my life at that point. Um, I have a kid, you know, um, people I love and care about. So I eventually bought this guy his gun out of fear. You know, um, I own it. You know, I made a mistake. You know, I uh, was foolish enough to be around this person by myself. But I wouldn't have done it, you know, if it wasn't for the fear of like what he could do or uh, either any biker gangs he was associated with. And now that I found out the FBI. Wow. So, so, so sorry that you had to go through that because it's understood that fear can make you do things that would be completely out of the question in other circumstances. But what it really sounds like with having those, you know, two very violent people trying to force you into this situation and really like pressing in on you talking about murdering people, what would make you think that they wouldn't do that to you? Since you know the plot now, yeah. if these guys were serious, if they weren't working for the FBI and they were just seriously like, you know, just some, you know, hardcore thugs, you know, what cause would you have to trust that they would not murder you now that you knew the plot? Exactly. And, you know, one of the gentlemen who wasn't an informant, Mr. Shelby, you know, shortly before my sentencing for giving a gun to a felon, he gives me a call and he says, hey, man, I'm sorry. You know, I thought you were a snitch. And he explained to me that um, a lot of them ended up thinking that I was a snitch because I didn't have a felony. I had my own place, I had my own car, I had a career. And he felt bad. I'm like, well, no, it's I was really down. Uh, but that's where the snitch jacketing came in. After I was intimidated by this guy, the gun, I started to stay away from him. And when that happened, you know, he put the snitch jacket on me like he did a few other folks, quite a few folks. So when I would start trying to tell the other protesters, hey, you've got to watch out for this guy. You've got to watch out for these people that are associated with him because he had uh, YDSA folks doing reconnaissance for him and no one wanted to listen to me, you know. But at that point, he was already outed, but he still had people down there. And I ended up, you know, very seldom coming out at that point because I also felt that, hey, I've got to keep them safe. Because he already knows this on me. So either if he's a uh, law enforcement or a biker or whatnot, it puts them in jeopardy as well. So I was completely alienated. And with that being said, a little less than a year later, in July uh, 27th, I believe, of 2021, I was picked up at my job by the FBI. But by this point, you know, I couldn't reach out to the community for help. You know, uh, the snitch jacket had already been placed on me. Uh, so it was... Uh, you know, kind of deserted. And as we all know, when you put the snitch jacket on someone, that's almost like a death threat, you know, mm. because at that point, you know, either a former protester, colleague, ally, comrade, whatever, you know, could think that you really are this snitch and they could hurt you. Or in many cases, as we've seen with the Panthers in the past, they'll have someone kill you 
and blame it on one of the protesters. Mm-hmm. So it's it was a terrifying experience. Um, I'm happy to snitch jackets off, but I'm still terrified. You know, uh, I've got a probation officer. I had a talk yesterday and, uh, you know, I popped two tests for weed. And, you know, it's I've got to, you know, stop. And it's not fair. I think they know it's not fair now that they've been caught red handed. I think it's more disrespectful, at least to me, because I can't speak for everyone else, that they know they're caught, but they can't even acknowledge it. And they only give us a no comment. I think that's more disrespectful than the act itself, that you can't even acknowledge it. And, you know, the courts know it as well. At my sentencing, you know, I was asked, did I get this guy the gun because I was afraid? And I said, yeah. Told him, yeah. So at that point, it's like, well, if you know that's the case, you know that I felt that I was under threat by the FBI's informant. So why charge me? And I think it was more so an attempt to keep me quiet and as well as uh, a lot of other folks as well. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And I thank you so much for sharing this experience because, you know, their tactic of silencing and isolating, it could have worked and you could have kept this under wraps and only, you know, talked to other people that you know personally about it, you know, and the people that are doing the work every day, you know, in neighborhoods and communities that they don't know, they haven't imagined that law enforcement could Um, the FBI, the Alphabet Boys, could or would do this to its own citizens. It's just really important that you share this because, one, we should be aware, and two, by you coming forth with this information, maybe it can give us a path forward to change. Yeah, absolutely. And hold that thought. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I, I am curious. Do you think that just considering this nation's history with COINTELPRO, the history of setting up black folks and murdering people and burying evidence and, you know, just all of the <laughs> with all of the wrongs that we have experienced? I'm, I'm just curious, do you feel like as you're going through all of this turmoil, do you feel like there is a path forward? Like, what would you recommend to the FBI and the rest of the Alphabet Boys about how to deal with Black citizens? Like, in the ideal world, what would be the what would be the new vision of relationship? <laughs> that sounds crazy, but if you could humor me, wow. Um... You know, it's been a few hundred years now, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I see so many different, you know, opinions with all of this, but I, I just, it's hard to really speculate because I think, you know, we can look at the FBI, we can look at the, uh, you know, law enforcement in general, but if the courts are the ones that are hiding the evidence and, you know, allowing this uh, misconduct to happen, you know, even in liberal states as I am in Colorado, it's hard to think uh, any progress is possible without, you know, their not approval, but uh, how much they'll allow. Because now it's apparent that they won't even acknowledge that they're caught. At any point, you know, the court can call and say, hey, this was wrong. You know, the public sees it now. So we need to open everyone's cases, not even more so just mine, you know, open everyone's cases and be, you know, very transparent. But that doesn't appear to be the case. It's uh, a very terrifying thing for, heck, not even just black folks, brown folks and white folks, when the government can withhold information and not want this out. I see so many different, you know, angles and, you know, how a lot of us black folks look at things. Uh, I've been very interested in learning about the uh, black expat movement. A lot of uh, black folks are leaving. Uh, A lot of black folks are leaving uh, very large cities even if they're, you know, liberal ran cities because, you know, the poverty is so intense. Mm-hmm. You know, these cities are spending a lot of money on law enforcement. I look at Atlanta, for instance, with the cop city issue. You know, people did all the protesting and marching. And not only do we see that law enforcement infiltrated and possibly destroyed everything, but these two liberal mayors, the previous mayor and the current mayor of Atlanta, have pushed this, you know, military facility. So I look a lot at the black expat movement, you know, um, even if you don't go to Africa or the Caribbean or some other black or brown place, which I probably, you know, prefer at this point. Sadly, there's other white countries that would even treat you better than your own white country and shouldn't even be a white country. So that's it. You know, I look at that. Then there are folks who still want to pursue things within communities. 
Uh, it's just so many different options. And at this point, we need to look at everything, every option possible, because it's apparent that the government, even under this administration, you know, is not taking action for things like this. So um, I don't have a definite answer. You know, I have hope in many ways, but I know we're very resilient people. And that's probably why they keep trying to do this to us. Mm. Well, I hear that, though. I love, actually, that you mentioned the expat black movement. But I will say that, you know, that they have eyes everywhere. The hills have eyes. Okay, I even think about in 2019, I traveled to Dakar, Senegal, and I definitely had a trail. There was definitely someone that I would, you know, I can't prove it because I, I don't, you know, have access to my file. But there was someone who was questioning what I was doing, you know, going to Senegal. Why was I going to Senegal? And then I kept seeing this person, like, <laughs> throughout our stay. And it wasn't it wasn't a synchronicity. Okay, so just being aware that even when we, you know, leave here, there is just just this persistent obsession with what we do, how we do it, where we go. And that's not to bring fear. I don't say that to bring fear, but we're pretty dope. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are, you know, it's like an addiction, you know, for some folks. And, you know, this is not different from what we've seen in the past. Even before the 60s, you know, there was that uh, the movie that just came out um, or not just, but with Andrew Day as Billie Holiday. Right. Billie Holiday versus the United States. Um, which showed even then in the in the 30s and the 40s, like this pattern of the government's obsession with trying to control the destiny and the future of black folks. So at some point, I believe that, you know, we have to, <laughs> we're going to have to be very clear and, you know, send a message. And I, I'm pretty sure the message there will be like ver a lot of variations of it. And when I say that, I mean, because there's so many different paths, but we do have to address this thing because I don't think there's no running from it. Uh, you're very right. Um, and I like what you said about, you know, the different paths, you know, looking back on the Black Power Movement in the 60s and 70s, you know, and I sit here and think now, you know, so many different paths, why not so many different Black Power Movements? <laughs> It's, you know, anything that, you know, helps us get better, you know, uh, anything that builds community. Not everyone's going to agree on everything, but there's some group that you can agree on a lot of things with. And as a large overall people, you know, you work with those different groups. Yeah, we've uh, been segregated. We've uh, been under slavery. We've separated. We've had our own cities that have been sank. You know, we've done everything. And I just know we're so resilient that we're going to keep doing it. And I know now that since everyone knows now that the government will perform a scorched earth policy, literally, to, uh, you know, stop our movement, it's now evident that they can't use the smear anymore. You know, we've known for decades that they've been doing this, but you usually have to wait a decade or two to actually get the evidence. And that by that time, the prosecutors are gone, the judges are gone, the agents and informants are gone. But now you just had to wait less than three years and all these people are still there. And that's in every state. So I think 
I've been pushing something. I think everyone since this is just me, since the government can't be transparent with what happened to us in 2020, it might be important for all of us to start speaking. Because at that point, you know, you can't just stop one or two people. You're going to have to be looking at, I think it was over 20 million people that were protesting, Hmm. you know, and the government can't hide everything from all of us. We might not be able to go back and stop what they did, but I think we have a good chance of making some kind of change if uh, a lot of folks start uh, talking out. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful step forward, you know, because I can only imagine. I mean, I've heard in Flint, you know, that there were activists who ended up dead, you know. And, you know, I truly worry about some of the bigger and urban cities that are already plagued with gun violence because it seems that, you know, it could be so easy, you know, to cover it up as just a regular incident of, you know, quote unquote, black on black violence. You know what I mean? So I think it's so important that we use our voices towards this and, um We also reach for evidence, you know, anything that we can show. So during the course of this podcast, folks met an investigative journalist named Cerise Castle, who um, talked about her run-ins with the sheriff's department and how she used something called public records request or public records act request, so a PRA And she was able to see exactly what was happening, right? And I understand that there's also, like, a process that people can utilize to request, like, if they suspect that they've been surveilled, that they can request, like, their FBI file or their CIA file. But I I don't have the full details on that. But I wonder, is that something that you were able to do? Have you done that yet? Like to see like the extent of the surveillance? No, outside of, uh, you know, my court documents, uh, you just don't know. I mean, you know, I, I look at the fact that my car was stolen for three days, so you just don't know. And then as Americans, everything you do is recorded anyway. Every step you take, everything you do, they know where you're at. So it's a little extra hard on us. Yeah, I have no idea to the extent in which they did anything, but I am interested in getting that file there. Yeah, I mean, as much as we can gather evidence, I think it's a part of the protective factor. However, at the end of the day, if they can run a scorched earth strategy, you know, and get away with it, they will, you know. So... Tell me more about the Alphabet Voice podcast. What can people expect? Uh, you can expect the unexpected. <laughs> it's imagine, you know, um, I'm not sure how old anyone is on here. I'm 38 years old. But when I was younger, I think Cinemax is still around. Like five o'clock in the morning after they got like all the, you know, the dirty stuff off of there. They had this one B movie that comes on. And it's like the weirdest B movie possible. And you're like, this is too far fetched. Well, that's what I think about with this, but it's not too far-fetched. It's actually real. You know, uh, every episode is going to introduce something new, um, something you weren't supposed to hear before, things you wouldn't have imagined, and outright government corruption that's so blatant, but the way it was just introduced into the protest. And I think it gives a good idea of probably what happened in every major city in the country. 
And I hope it gives people the idea, you know, uh, educates them, you know, which was, I knew more about this, you know, before I was involved with it. Uh, I think it can help educate a lot of people on how to uh, either protest or uh, perform activism in the future. It's uh, very opening, uh, eye-opening. You'll be surprised every episode. I can uh, say that. And hopefully it gives a lot of people across the country uh, courage to just speak out. The journalist on this uh, project is uh, Trevor Aronson. But, you know, if you know anything, you know, I'd like to, you know, give it to him. But there's always, you know, reputable journalists all over the country. And I think it's important that all of our stories get out. Um, you know, I'm just one individual. You know, I'm happy that everybody within this uh, story has contributed. But this is just Denver. It's uh, not even closest to the biggest city in the country. So I really hope that the Alphabet Boys, uh, this first season and any upcoming seasons, gives people the courage to speak out and, you know, talk about any injustices that they or anyone else is going through. Yeah, thank you for that, man. You're so right. I know that there are so many stories that we have not heard in terms of people surviving, you know, this state violence, you know? And so there should be like a place for people to be directed to share this information. I'm sure it will be attacked, but, you know, at least it's a start. Right. And then I'm also like really happy that you mentioned the role that, you know, journalists could play in amplifying the voices of survivors of state violence. I mean, there has been very little recourse for survivors of state violence, you know, throughout the decades. We saw for many years the families associated with, like, the MOVE organization in Philadelphia not receive any justice. We saw them, you know, jailed for surviving, you know, with their life, uh, assaults from the state. And then we... You know, we continue to see the imprisonment of uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal and the persecution of Asada Shakur. You know, all incidents of state violence that remain unhealed, unaddressed, unrepaired. So I just think it's so important for those who are out there and they already, and I think it's, I, I do think it's really important that you are coming forward after receiving a sentence, right, in your entrapment case. Um, and can you actually tell us about what the sentence was, if it's okay? Yeah, I'm on probation for three years, you know, because I'm a not violent criminal by any means. I have to ask to leave the state. I have to call a urinary analysis phone uh, number every morning. I have to pay $11 for each test. Uh, and since I did, you know, fail a, like a few marijuana tests, I, my stipulation now is, you know, I have to join a drug treatment program, even though it's very odd, you know, uh, a lot of people think marijuana is legal, but you know, when you're on federal probation, it doesn't matter if you're in Denver, Colorado or not, it's not legal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, uh, got a leash on me and it doesn't feel comfortable. And especially with the government knowing that the public knows what they did. It's very scary. Um, you know, I could look at doing 10 years in prison compared to the informant, Michael Windecker, who I think just might've done just over two years. It's 
terrifying. It's also slap in the face to all of us. When the courts, you know, allowed this, it kind of said like, hey, you all did this and, you know, went on this big protest around the entire country and try again next time. That's what it feels like. Mm. Um, so slap in the face. And then, you know, the FBI, their Twitter account there, uh, especially the Denver branch, they're putting up Black History Month things, you know, and I'm like, really? You know, <laughs> I'm like, come on now, you're just going to smear it in a little bit more than you already have. Yeah, It's very disrespectful. And something that boggles me is the fact that the attorney general and our elected officials here, they haven't even spoken about it. Um, we have a mayoral race that's going on and the elections April 2nd. And I haven't heard anyone really talking about this. You would think that our uh, local and state officials, you know, would have this on their mind. It's really weird, especially from our attorney general, Phil Weiser. Uh, I would think that as an elected official or as a human being in general, if I found out someone set up an assassination attempt on me and it wasn't real, I'd be a little more concerned. You know, I'd be asking some questions like, hey, what's this about? But nothing. So it makes me question how deep the government was in. You just don't know now. Because he's not saying anything. Um, I'm going to ask you if you found out someone set up a fake assassination attempt on you, won't you just have some questions, at least just a few? Of course. I mean, and at the same time, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely raises questions about, you know, who are all the players, you know? Yeah. And that's funny. Uh, there's a uh, Republican House member in uh, North Carolina. I can't remember his name, and I'll try to get that to you later. Uh, he mentioned this and said, you know, not sure what his intentions are, but he said, you know, this was entrapment and it's wrong if it happens to people on the Republican side or people on the left. And then there is a senator in Oregon named Ron Wyden, and I could be wrong, but he's listened to some of the podcasts and the information and he wants to launch an investigation. Apparently, he's talked about this and it was mentioned in the uh, the Guardian magazine in a uh, article that was released yesterday. So it's people know. Mm. But now it's like, okay, courts, well, we know politicians know there's this sub, this committee within the House, which let's say it's biased at best. You know, it's looking for, uh, you know, uh, weaponization by these agencies like the FBI, CIA. And now that all this is happening, I still question where's the role of the courts in all of this? You know, they know this stuff is here. And I look at people who might have been imprisoned from Denver in 2020 or charges they took. And now that all of this is out, all of our cases should be reopened. Absolutely. I think that's a fair ask. Yeah, it's you send a career criminal who has been a uh, a law enforcement snitch for uh, at least uh, about 20 years or so. And they also lied to uh, local media, the FBI. You know, they told CBS and the other outlets here that they foiled this plot. But the plot was never going through because no one agreed to do it. So the fact that, you know, they're not going to be in question on that, we just received no comment. It's absolutely rude. It's just imagine, you know, you have someone who uh, has to plead uh, guilty or not guilty and they just stand there and they don't say anything. It's kind of what the FBI is doing. Well, it's very interesting because I think that that's often what happens is that there's no response. You know, it's just an unresponsive <laughs> Just, it's an unresponsive entity, right, when it comes to accountability. And you mentioned earlier, like, how we could have, you know, a variety of Black power movements, right? Well, 
there could be also like FBI, CIA, black power movements, okay, not exclusive to black people, but Mm -hmm. just like how there are whistleblowers at every level of government, like, you know, they could definitely change things. Also, you know, folks who are working in the courts and they're seeing this pattern, like, because at the end of the day, these systems, they're made up of people, And I like to start each episode with, like, you know, welcoming good people. And, you know, maybe not everybody thinks of themselves as a good person, or um, maybe some people don't have the imagination to believe there are any good people. But I hold space for the fact that everybody has some good in them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm speaking to the good in people, you know, that I don't care what job you do. I don't care what you've done in the past. You know, you have every opportunity every day to stand up for what's right. And so if you are in the Denver court system and you're hearing this, you have an opportunity to be on the right side of history and the right side of justice. And you can utilize the good in you to make a change. I think so. Uh, Support your local whistleblower. (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) You know, I totally believe in that. Uh, It's like I look at police officers. You know, I think a lot of them go in wanting to do the right thing. And then a lot of the good officers, uh, they kind of get blackballed. Uh, They're labeled as snitches. There's a uh, case out in California, even though I'm kind of getting sidetracked here, but uh, it was a detective, I believe, named Houston Tipping. And he was investigating uh, some of his, uh, you know, uh, police colleagues for a gang rape that apparently happened. and you know, somehow in a training exercise, he was, he died. Mm. And it was with a lot of these people who he was investigating. And I guess the LAPD found, you know, no wrongdoing or LA Sheriff's Department. So it's good officers or people or officers who want to do well, they are uh, destroyed or they have to quit or their label is bad. They're getting written up. Uh, Because we've seen so many police officers and, you know, in our lives wanting to speak out. But it's the fear, you know, because uh, you have to think, you know, I guess well, that's why a lot of them just quit. And I think that's the best thing to do if the system is pushing you that way. But they probably understand that, you know, they get worked over worse than us. Uh, and then I have to look at, you know, the racism within police departments. A lot of black folks who, as we know, uh, black cops showing out for the white cops. Uh, look at those, uh, I'm not going to call them brothers, but those men in uh, Memphis who killed uh, that brother. Mm-hmm. You know, they were locked up quick. You know, but it took a while for the murderers of Elijah McClain here in Colorado to get locked up. Mm. It took over two years. But, you know, just because you're black doesn't really give you a seat at the table either. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, we have we have so much work to do. And again, it has to happen at every level. You know, every every person has a stake in this. And it's so easy to give into fear I've always thought about the fact that Cohen's Help Pro worked so well because it gave rise to this distrust, you know, and that distrust could so easily stop all movements, you know. However, um, as you've mentioned several times, you know, we are resilient people, you know, despite all of the ways that... We have been attacked through state-sanctioned actions. 
we continue to rise, you know, like Maya Angelou, like straight up, you know. And as we rise, though, and, you know, because of poverty, because of desperation, because of hopelessness, because of trauma, because of internalized racism, uh, we take these jobs that would continue the oppression of our own folks, you know, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to to even imagine that um, you could be the one to, you know, make a change. But I just want to reiterate that, you know, anybody could be the one to make a change. Just you have to you have to appeal to the good in yourself, <laughs> like <laughs> you, you know, and um, and even when you're not, even when you know you done fucked up. You could be that rare person that could, you know, step up and be accountable to your fuck ups. Like even in this situation, we could have the FBI be accountable to their fuck up, you know? Yeah, we pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even like I said, even people who weren't even for the BLM move, I look at it like this. You might have been in a red state, you know. Your whole house could be decked out with Trump. You know, go do what you got to do. You know, it's all you. But you can say you were against the movement, but you did support it. Your tax money supported the burning down and destruction of cities that you'll probably never go to. You know, these uh, very uh, hardcore Trump supporters, even conservatives, moderate people either. Anyway, then that money, your tax money was used to censor you from knowing about it. And then your tax money was used to rebuild these cities that you probably won't even live in. And now your tax money is being used to just say, hey, no comment. Mm. And the thing is, even if you were not for the movement, you supported it. And I think, you know, conservatives need to realize the ones that weren't for our movement. Hey, your government screwed you, too. They, they took your cash. They took your bread. And I've seen a lot of conservatives on Twitter. They're like, yeah, this is not right, you know, because now we're seeing both sides, black people, white people, left, right, and everything in the middle say, hey, we're not liking the FBI anymore. And I think we all need to just press them now, you know, because if those right wing people are doing no matter what their intentions are, people on the left and black people in particular should be pressing them as well, you know, from every single angle. This is like a uh, it's like a spider web. You know, you can take one little like strand off, you know, but it's not going to do anything because if you go to another strand, the spiders is going to come there, put it back together and come get you. So if you have this coming from every angle. That can probably get a lot more done than, uh, you know, a lot of people just saying, hey, you know, they're going to hate him for their reasons. But like, no, no, we, we don't like them either. So put the pressure there. No, absolutely. And you briefly touched on the situation in Memphis. I do want to just give love and um, condolences to the family and loved ones of Tyree Nichols. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. 
With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. As we hear what um, Zeb has run down to us, I just hope that folks are taking it in and taking notes, and um, if they have the resources, if they're in position to do so, especially like any investigative journalists out there, any lawyers, you know, really consider taking up this cause, you know, really consider doing an audit of the court cases that came out of those 2020 um, protests and really get some of this stuff going. And definitely, listen to the Alphabet Boys <laughs> podcast and you can get the podcast anywhere you get podcasts, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, are there any practices that you do for like your own sanity, your own peace, your own healing? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, a month and a half before I was picked up, I started uh, partaking in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I love grappling, you know, I'm, I'm okay with striking, you know, I'm all right, but I love the act of grappling. It's uh, no matter what you're going through in life, you know, when you have to just sit there and completely focus, cause you can't be thinking about like, man, you know, what am I going to eat tonight when your arm is like going to get caught in an arm bar or something? It's uh, uh, I love grappling. When I started, I think I was about 260 pounds and I was having some severe health issues and it was starting to add up and, Oh man, the first week, I just figured, you know, I've got this big gi on, this kimono type thing. And I'm like, oh man, I'm 260 pounds. I can just lay on this person. And, uh, you know, uh, I got pretzeled all week, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it was very, very humbling. And at the end of the week, you know, uh, I started on June 11th. And I think by the 16th or somewhere around there, at the end of the week, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm, I'm scratched up all over and everything. You know, because I've been getting beat up by people like 100 pounds less than me or even more. And I looked in the mirror and I said, yeah, you can't quit this. 
Mm. It's, you know, I, um, person, you know, struggled with, uh, who I am at times, you know, a lot of times throughout my life, lacked a lot of, uh, confidence, but, um, jujitsu wrestling, you know, a little bit of judo. It's been the thing that's gotten me through all this, you know, a great support system with friends and loved ones, therapy. Most of us managed to be in it, you know, <laughs> uh, most people in general, uh, mm. but you know, being on that mat, you know, having to, uh, as Wu-Tang said, protect your neck, you know, <laughs> um, it's very humbling. I've only been doing it for about a year and a half, but you know, you're going to tap out. And that's such a humbling experience knowing that someone could, you know, a, a partner could just be angry or something and finish it, you know, but it's like, Hey, we made a mistake. Let's try it again. Let's roll it through again. This is what I did. This is how we did this. This is how you prevent this. And, you know, just keep getting better. And it's the constant challenge. It's um, the pressure of having someone much bigger than you on your back or on your chest. And you have to learn not to panic, you know, when you're in that situation. It helped me so much with all of this that I've been through. It makes me feel like a more positive masculine person, you know, who wants to use that for the good of more people, uh, a more positive person to myself. Yeah. um, Anybody out there. you know, if you're interested in a some kind of martial art, you know, give some grappling a chance, but experience the pressure. It really helps out with other things in life. Very beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us for Survivor's Heal. And yeah, are, did you have some some last? Um, well, you asked me. So, um, what do you do to keep your sanity in this crazy world? <laughs> oh man. There's a lot of things I do. I I do tend to meditate. I tend to write. I really, really love music. So I use music in my daily life to move me forward. So thank you for asking. Well, thanks for asking me. And uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, love you and uh, tell everybody in your life, you know, you love them too. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, ditto. in closing we have come to the end of this season and i just want to take the time to express so much gratitude to all of you that have listened in to the survivors hill podcast to those of you who have reached out to me you are amazing and i appreciate you taking the time to share your stories and ideas It's been an incredible journey so far, and I really want to thank the Next Up Initiative for giving me a chance to share the important stories from the trenches of the New Survivors Movement. I also want to send a bucket of love to all those who made the show possible, like my dope-ass producers, all the editors, and certainly all of the amazing guests. If you have been moved by the Survivor's Heal podcast, please join the movement and also like, share, and comment on any and every platform that you listen in with. And reach out. You can reach me on IG at Survivor's Heal and you can also visit the website at survivorsheal.com for bonus content, resources, and more. It's been such a pleasure to have this opportunity. And if you want more of this, you gotta let me know. Lastly, when I tell y'all getting to this moment has been a crazy, wild, sometimes dark and scary ride, 
I'm holding no water. But I've learned so much and grown so much, I wouldn't change a minute of it. The things that do need changing though, we're working on them. (laughs) And I'm inviting you all, wherever you are good people, to not only survive this rugged world, but to heal as well. Peace. Disclaimer. My views, beliefs, and opinions are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my guests, resource organizations, or sources shared. Last thing. Every day we survive is a new chance to seek healing. Peace to your journey, good people. Ashe. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.